Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us at this Facebook Live. Uh, we're here at the ICFP conference in Rwanda. That's the fifth annual conference. I'm Sophie Edwards. I'm a reporter with DevX, and we're here to. Um, I'm here to moderate a conversation about the potential of human-centered design in family planning programs working with adolescents. I'd like to turn now to my my two guests and introduce themselves. Hi, uh, so I'm Jessa, I'm a Managing Director at IDEO.org, and we're an organization focused on bringing human-centered design uh, into sectors like this one. And I'm Carl Hoffman, I'm the President of PSI, Population Services International. We have a long history in contraception and family planning, but learning how to do new things through human-centered design. Perfect. Well, Jessa, let's start with you and maybe just a, a brief history of uh, human-centered design and you know how it's become m recently more often applied in family planning. Yeah, definitely. So probably some people might say that design has gone back to sort of cavemen making tools and creating um, different objects and different things to survive. Um, Human-centered design we think of as a creative approach to problem solving, um, but design and design thinking, human-centered design, that really grew out of um, kind of in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, more traditional product design. So it was a process that was used and applied to creating everything from household objects like toasters to fax machines to, um, to buildings themselves, um, a whole range of sort of objects. and. Um, early on, uh, David Kelly, some others at IDEO, and some other firms also around the world started to think about and realize that actually this, appro uh, this approach that designers take to solving problems and developing new products could actually be applied to services, to experiences. And so really over the last probably 20 years, human-centered design has, has shifted away from traditional products and is being applied to you know, increasing designing solutions for adolescents, um, looking at even shifting organize, organizations, the way they work. Uh, so it sort of shifted to a whole new range of, of problems. Okay, and am I right thinking about five years ago you started working on family planning? Yeah, way. yeah. So IDEO.org is a nonprofit organization, and we grew out of the for-profit IDEO, um, and we really wanted to to kind of think about could we take human-centered design and apply it to sort of different challenges related to poverty alleviation in the social sector? And for us, um, when we thought about where do we actually, where do we focus, where can design add value, um, we realized that within adolescent reproductive health, there was a really big challenge around how do we actually reach young people. Um, and so we, um, through a partnership with the Hewlett Foundation and actually with Mary Stopes back in those days, we did uh, sort of the first project um, that was using human-centered design. Uh, I do think, though, that lots of people in this sector have been using forms of kind of user-centered design and different approaches to kind of keep um, the people we're designing for at the center. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, over the past five years, it's become a little more um, sort of formalized around uh, the process of human-centered design. Great. And so, Carl, tell me about PSI's experiences then using human-centered design. So I love Jess's description of Jess's description of how HCD has grown out of a long history of well, first trying to deal with product design and then ultimately moving to experience design or organizational design, right? And so it's it's been an evolution. I think for us as a social marketing organization, you know, a lot of um, the tenets of HCD are present in how we think of marketing, right? Trying to understand consumer insight, trying to build a product or a service or an experience around what is really powerful for the consumer. 
HCD, and I remember, by the way, um, IDEO being at the International Family Planning Conference in Addis Ababa. Mm -hmm. I want to say that was the second or third yeah. one. And it sort of sent a ripple through the whole, all the participants, because this, wow, this was an outside sort of, what was this design thinking coming into an old story around family planning and contraception? And since then, it sort of bubbled through lots of different organizations, including my own. So we've been working with IDEO, for example, in a product, uh, project around adolescent sexual and reproductive health in three countries in Africa, Tanzania, Ethiopia, and Nigeria. It's called Adolescence 360, uh, funded by the Gates Foundation and SIF, and using a, a great range of partners to try and unpack what is a really tough challenge, which is um, adolescent sexual health. And when we spoke earlier, I remember you sort of said that there was a bit of a light bulb moment that HCD right. helped you uncover and really changed the way that you were working in your messaging. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. I think the example I spoke about was in Tanzania. I mean, for a long time, you know, we had approached um, issues around um, adolescent sexual health, and particularly um, for girls, to, to message around the importance of staying in school and controlling your own destiny and reaching your dreams and being, you know, having a sense of agency and contraception was a tool to, to allow a, a young woman to do all of those things. And all of us who grew up in the West probably, that we would find that message, messaging very familiar, right? But through HCD, an HCD process where we really dug down deep and tried to start with empathy and go from there to insights and then prototyping solutions, we began to realize that for, say, a rural adolescent Tanzanian girl, the, the, one of the most important aspects of her identity is her fertility, her ability to be a mother and to be a part of a family um, in her more adult years. So for us, that meant reframing the whole conversation. How do we enter that conversation with that girl? It's not about protecting your dreams. It's not about staying in school, although that's all important. But we realized we needed to say, look, what we first want to recognize is your fertility is really important. Contraception, by the way, will not harm it. And let's talk about the different methods of contraception that are appropriate for you based on the need to protect your fertility. So it's like it was, it was a light bulb moment for us, uh, having worked for decades in this field and then realizing, oh, we were missing the key value proposition for our core audience, yeah. which was fertility. Well, that's a great example, yeah. Um, and uh, another reason we're having this conversation today is that um, a new commitment has been launched, um, which I understand PSI was pretty instrumental in putting together, right. which is sort of to help kind of safeguard uh, right. both the participants but also the health workers. Um, can you tell us a little bit, maybe um, just to start with you, what are some of the risks that, you know, maybe traditional research and design methods sort of don't pose, but HCD does kind of can bring up? Yeah, so I think with HCD, one of the things is that the process is um, fairly participative. So we're going out, we're spending time in communities, um, we're trying to spark different types of conversations, which means, you know, we don't want to sit in an empty room with a, you know, a kind of a checklist on a, and a survey questionnaire. Um, we want to be, it could be uh, doing observations with a girl, understanding how she's spending her day, who she's hanging out with, um, different, different kind of methods and techniques to uh, make it more comfortable for her to open up, um, but also as kind of designers or practitioners, give us more kind of insight um, and kind of through line into really what's going on with her life. And so we, if it's more participative and if we're sort of more sort of immersed in the community, I think that can, you know, it can create uh, 
um, on the one hand, kind of expectations within the community about, you know, we're part of developing this program, but what happens if this program that we're developing or this one concept we're, you know, we're all excited about one day and the next day it's not there. Have we actually sort of unfairly raised expectations of the community that yes, we're gonna be back here. It's possible the program may not even end up getting rolled out in that community, at least yeah. at first. Um, so I think that's that's kind of one piece. Um, I, think there's, um, I think there's some others in terms of just ensuring that, um, that we're really keeping in mind that as we're, you know, for example, with the prototyping, if we're doing things that feel more real, that at the end of the day, if we've, you know, if we've taken a girl through a group session, session where there's some new learning experiences, if we haven't properly done community sensitization, if she goes back home and maybe shares with her family what she learned that day, have we actually kind of introduced some, some risk? Because for her, she's actually just attended. She's actually just attended a learning session, even though we're briefing them that this is part of um, kind of part of research and part of um, involving youth to help inform mm. um, the direction. For her, it feels very real. So if she goes back home and then her mother's angry with what she learned, then that's actually putting her in a position um, where that we that's not necessarily safe. Yeah. So we're also trying to think about, as we're going out and doing these more kind of high-touch, uh, immersive, participative approaches, how are we ensuring that we're taking steps to ensure that those around her are, are also supportive and kind of understanding of what we're Great. doing. Great. And Carl, maybe tell us a bit more of what's in the, uh, in the commitments. Right, so the commitment will be launched um, in just a little while, this afternoon, with Mary Stopes, ourselves, and, uh, and others. A set of principles, really, organized around three basic themes, rights, justice, and beneficence. Rights to, as, as the appropriate starting point, recognizing that, you know, this is about sexual and reproductive health and rights, and young people certainly have those rights as well. Justice recognizing that, as Jessup was just indicating, you know, very often we're talking about people who have been either are because of society or reality or poverty are very marginalized, but deserve to be heard and have the, the, the status that is theirs rightfully. And, and beneficence, this very important principle of doing no harm, basically. So uh, I, won't, I won't give the full details of it here. Um, that Those will become available this afternoon when we launch it. But I would just say, you know, in the context of reproductive health and family planning, I mean, ethics have always been the absolute bedrock of any responsible programming. So it's not like, again, this is, a, this is a new thing. Ethics, I think, have been deeply embedded into responsible family planning program. And, and where those ethics are missing, uh, there can be disastrous consequences. Um, but largely, I think they are very deeply embedded. But they tend to become a little bit um, sort of like in a, in a glass cage on the shelf. Right? We've carefully constructed all sorts of very formal ways to ensure that ethics and safeguarding and so forth are properly documented and validated by external bodies. I think what we're talking about with this commitment, which is again, so just taking it to the next level, is saying, look, in the context of human-centered design, we're going to try a lot of things out. That's the whole premise of human-centered design. And we better make sure we take those ethics off the shelf and sort of bring them out into the actual execution of yeah. this sort of programming, this iteration, which is exciting and sometimes risky 
and um, ultimately we think liberating and energizing, but we're just trying to make sure that we've thought of and we're purposeful about ensuring that ethics is the right, is framing it appropriately. I think we've seen, just to build on that, I think we've seen also, which is which is really exciting, in the last couple of years, more organizations interested in uh, not just hiring kind of outside firms like IDEO.org to come in, but also starting to kind of adopt and integrate, like PSI has some of the mindsets and methodologies into the way they actually do work. Um, and so as more and more organizations are kind of adopting um, pieces or components of human-centered design, I think there's just this moment uh, that we've realized that we want to make sure that everyone doesn't just have the, like, the tool, the, the sort of toolkit to do it, um, but also knows sort of the, the, the things they should be thinking about from an ethics uh, perspective that might be different from sort of the way that they've worked um, yeah. traditionally. Um, so, yeah, so we're excited more people are using it, but want to make sure there's those, uh, those right safeguards in place. Yeah. And so are you presumably hoping that lots of groups will sign up Today. We invite everybody to join this set of principles, absolutely, mm -hmm. and so we'll try and publicize it with your help yeah. and uh, tell, <laughs> the, tell the story about it, um, and all who come will be welcome. Brilliant. And I think we've got just a few minutes left. I think not everyone's a, a big, not everyone's sort of sold on human-centered design, right? Mm -hmm. I've talked to some people while I've been here, and mm -hmm. what some of the critics you hear is that, you know, it's a sort of, it's not very scalable, it's a little boutique-y, or, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's... It, it's, it's kind of common sense. Like, what, what would you say to sort of some of those naysayers? You know, I, <laughs> it's a good thing there are naysayers because it causes us to test our yeah, propositions, exactly. right? Exactly. And, um, you know, the, I heard a great expression the other day. Um, there's, no, there's really no such thing as a silver bullet. But to stay in that frame of reference, there, is, there are things like silver buckshot. In other words, there are lots of different things that we need to try to break through on some of these very tough challenges that societies face. Contraception, family planning, talking about sex, that's a big challenge in many societies, including my own, right? Um, so we ought to be sort of agnostic about all the tools we bring to bear. And if human-centered design allows us, an organization that's about behavior change and delivering greater health impact to the people we serve in 50 or so countries, we ought to grab it. it it's, not, it's not radically going to change and turn upside down PSI, but it will make us better. And I think that's the, the promise of things like human-centered design. It's, you know, this isn't a radical remake of what we do or how we think about our work. It's just helping us think about it better and deeper, I would say. And as marketers, that's gold. You know, the ability to, or the new tools that help us figure out how to get deeper insight into what our consumer needs and wants and what her barriers are, that's really gold for us. Okay, brilliant. I'm afraid we have to, we have to end it there, that's but um, <laughs> thank you very much for tuning in. If you've got comments, uh, please feel free to, to put them at the bottom of the page, and there'll be other Facebook Lives, so, so keep posted. Thank you.